This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you this morning? I am excellent. I'm so excited about our show today. I'm a numbers junkie. Oh, and our engineer is Jay White, known around here as the statistics or the math guy. So we love hearing all of these statistics about Mississippi, and they're not possible unless people fill out the U.S. Census. That's right. And I'm really, one of the things I love about doing the show is I get a chance to show off the, the wonderful people I work with uh, at the university, not just at the law school, but around the university. And Dr. John Green is an affiliated faculty member at the law school, but he's also in uh, the, the director of the Center for Population Studies and a professor of sociology. And uh, it's great to have him on today to talk about counting, how we count in Mississippi and, and, and the importance of the census as, it, as it's about to start. Welcome, Professor Green. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to join you. Well, and I think our MPB listeners um, have uh, maybe have heard of you a little bit. I know our news department has used you uh, a number of times for news stories. So we appreciate you sharing your information that uh, with MPB so that we can pass it along to the rest of the Mississippi and parts of Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, and Arkansas. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background and the work at the Center for Population Studies that's there based at the University of Mississippi. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I am a rural sociologist by training which means I do uh, research and teaching related to uh, social issues, especially around uh, issues related to population change and those uh, population changes that influence health and well-being. I do statewide uh, work, but I have a special interest in rural places and, and small towns, and, and thus my, my training and preparation in rural sociology. I uh, did my uh, Ph.D. at the University of Missouri, Columbia, and uh, before that was a student at Mississippi State. And uh, I was uh, actually involved as a beneficiary or as a client of the Center for Population Studies back when I was a faculty member at Delta State University in Cleveland uh, for nine years before coming here to the University of Mississippi to uh, take on my role at the Center for Population Studies and State Data Center. Well, John, and, you know, you've also... We've been uh, benefited here at the law school, and one of the reasons that we are so excited to have you as an affiliated faculty member is you've done work with our clinics. Could you talk a little bit about how your your role would play, how your center would play a role with our clinical programs? Yeah, so uh, a large part of my personal work, but also the work of the center, is, is focused on the connection between social science research and demography uh, in connection to law and policy especially around issues related to uh, kind of health and well-being at the community, regional, and state levels. And so we're, we're very interested in how do we uh, make sure that social science research is part of that uh, law and policy discussion, but also how the questions that people working in law and policy might inform our work. What are the, what are the big pictures? So we've had a great opportunity to collaborate in the past with uh, 
with the transactional uh, legal clinic, you know, working with uh, nonprofits and small businesses, um, working around issues related to local food system development. Uh, we've partnered with the uh, housing clinic uh, around uh, data and, and kind of collaborative training for people to uh, do research in that area. An example would be uh, we've worked with faculty here at the law school on uh, training law students on the kind of similarities and differences in doing interviews for uh, social science research purposes compared to legal purposes. And then, uh, Go ahead. And then we've, uh, we've also collaborated uh, doing some uh, data analysis assistance with the Innocence Project. So those are just a few uh, examples of the ways in which we've uh, collaborated. You're hearing a, a little bit from uh, Professor John Green, a professor of Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the director for the Center for Population Studies and Society and Health Minor of Affiliated Faculty with the School of Law at the University of Mississippi. This is in legal terms. We're going to talk about the census and the importance of population study. So if you've got a question, don't assume somebody else is going to ask it. Go ahead and call in now. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You could also send us an email. Our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org. Professor Gershon's got his questions he wants to ask. I've got mine, but we want to hear yours. So go ahead and call in now. Don't wait till the end of the show to participate with Dr. Green, uh, Professor Green, to hear about this, uh, the, the census. Now, you know, you've talked a little bit about some of the things you've done with the clinics with the law school. I also understand you worked some when we had the Gulf oil spill. Yeah, so one of the things we've we've been involved with is uh, is helping nonprofit and community-based organizations that are you know providing services both in the aftermath of uh, disasters, but also in kind of the the redevelopment uh, stages. You know, how do you bring the community and, and region back together? Uh, so, so our center has partnered with groups on the Gulf Coast uh, after Hurricane Katrina, after the BP oil spill, uh, after those types of events uh, throughout the state. The, the types of data that we work with from the Census Bureau, as well as collecting primary data, is useful for, first of all, understanding what is the population that's been affected and what, what might those needs be, what are the different vulnerabilities that there may be, uh, trying to understand the characteristics, and then uh, being able to use that to help inform relief and redevelopment, and then also helping the uh, organizations that are on the front lines providing services to, to better understand how the population has changed. An example that I would give is, is uh, with um, the release of the 2010 census data following uh, Hurricane Katrina, you know, the, the Gulf Coast population had changed uh, pretty dramatically. And so we helped uh, do analysis for local partners on the coast as well as to help foundations that were giving uh, money for redevelopment efforts to understand what those changes were and then integrate that into their planning and, uh, and how they were going to, uh, you know, provide services for the future. And it's also it's important for federal funding and state funding as well to know how those populations have been affected at- yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if we think about both the the allocation of federal funding as well as the eligibility requirements for so much of the uh, programming, 
that we three, see through the federal government as well as state allocations trying to use data to make those decisions. All right. Well, we're going to get into the census information right after our break. So if you have a question about what they, who are they, what can they legally do with the census data or how they obtain that information, we want you to give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 672 7464. You could also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Why do we conduct a census and who gets that information? We're going to tell you after the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And here it is, folks. Article 1, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution requires a count of the population every 10 years. These counts are used to determine Mississippi's representation in Congress, as well as governmental policies and programs. And under Title 13, U.S. Code, the U.S. Census Bureau is legally required to keep individual information confidential. This morning, we're talking about uh, the census with John Green, director of the Center for Population Studies and Society. I can remember as a little girl, I guess I was Three, I'm not going to tell you. Well, you'll figure out the math. I was three when my first census happened. So I was 13 when the second one came out. And I was so excited. And I wanted to fill out the form. And then when I was 23, I was so excited that I was going to get my own form in my own household. So, But let's talk about this 2020 census. Um, Professor Green, why, why is it important uh, to Mississippi? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, starting off, the important thing is to understand that this is a, a, required, uh, a requirement uh, under the Constitution. Uh, as it relates to apportionment. Additionally, the, the data from the census are used for uh, redistricting uh, for you know, federal offices as well as statewide and, and local uh, redistricting for our political representation. And then also as it relates to funding allocation and uh, eligibility. 
And for, you know, states like Mississippi that we have uh, lower populations, uh, we have uh, a majority of people still living in rural areas that making sure that we have an, an accurate count has an impact on what resources we have for a wide variety of, of different initiatives from education to health care to roads and bridges. Well, you know, and I think uh, people wonder if the Center for Population Studies sits around for 10 years waiting for the census to happen. And we've, we've heard that they do. They're always, you know, working on issues that are important to Mississippians and people in the region. But this is a especially busy year for you. And, and you're, uh, talk about the Mississippi Complete Count Committee, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ways in which uh, the kind of organization, the outreach, uh, doing education and promotion for the census happens that that goes beyond just the great work that the Census Bureau uh, does is through local and statewide complete count committees. In fact, uh, anybody can uh, be involved with a complete count committee. Uh, the Census Bureau actually publishes a list uh, if, if local committees have uh, registered. So those can be local cities, uh, counties. They can be special organizations that form them. But then we also have a statewide complete count committee. The statewide committees are actually appointed um, by the gover- governor, and, uh, and so we have a complete count committee. I serve as the vice chair for the complete count committee. Uh, Giles Ward, former Senator Giles Ward, uh, is our uh, chair. And, uh, and um, we kind of focus on bringing together uh, stakeholders and leaders uh, at the state level uh, around the census, but for their different areas of work, whether it's education, uh, government, business, um, religious community, uh, to help uh, educate people about the census, but also then to uh, you know, do the outreach. One of the big uh, areas of focus for complete count committees is to help build uh, trust in the process. And, and one of the ways to do that is to get trusted voices in communities and in the state to help spread that message. Well, and Liz actually texted me a question. It's a great question. You know, yeah. the, the number of representatives in Congress are fixed, right? I mean, there's, right. there's a set number. So is it possible we could lose one of our representatives if our population drops and another state's population is growing? So, yeah, that's a great question and something that, that all states uh, are, you know, asking uh, around the time of any decennial census. The, uh, the different estimates that I've seen, there are a lot of researchers who work on this, is that Mississippi is probably uh, not at risk uh, for, you know, as it relates to the apportionment after the 2020 census to to lose another seat, we'll, we should stay at four. Uh, but we can't say that it's impossible because, uh, as you say, it's, it's not just what our population numbers are, but also other states relative to each other. And so with that uh, fixed number, um, we, we want to make sure that we have as complete a count as possible, as accurate data as possible, and, uh, and also that those, that those numbers are going to be with us for the next decade informing a lot of these decisions. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's so important. So the question you, you mentioned, this is the only constitutionally, or Liz actually mentioned, this, it's the only constitutionally mandated research that has to be done. And so do I have to participate in the census? Yeah, so by law, people are uh, legally required to participate in the census. Um, and that's uh, one of the reasons that there's so much follow-up and so, you know, so much effort to get people to participate 
Uh, I like to really think about it in terms of a really super important civic duty. You know, you think about voting as something that we can do to be a part of civic life. Um, but with the decennial census uh, is similar. And what's interesting there is it's not just your representation, uh, but it's the ability of your, uh, your household, your community, your state to, to uh, be represented uh, in our government and, uh, and also the functioning of government. And so I think if we look at the census as not an intrusion, not asking you know, questions about our lives, but actually a, a way that we can actively participate in our government and, uh, and the decisions that are made and the uh, resources that are distributed, it, it uh, you know, really demonstrates the value of it to us and, and for everybody. I am so excited about the census. I just, I love it. I love seeing all the information. Uh, guys, don't let me be the only one asking questions. Us and Professor Gershon, if you've got a question, give us a call about the census. Our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you could send us an email. Give your name. Don't give your name. We don't care. <laughs> Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, Professor Green, does my personal Census data become public? Will, you know, completing it compromise my privacy? I guess if I were to check, if I were and I checked Alaskan Native and it was in Mississippi, it might, I might be the only one, but can, can they figure out exactly who is what from the published data? Yeah, so this is, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, the privacy uh, protections that are a part of Title 13 are really important to public trust in the census, and this is something that's taken very seriously. In fact, uh, violation by employees as well as partners of the census uh, in, would include punishment by, for both including jail time and fines uh, for people who are working with those data. But as, as you just asked related to the published uh, data, the public data, the lowest level of geography that census data are reported on are, are what we call the census block, and then those blocks are, are combined upwards to other geographies that eventually get us to the state and nation. And, uh, and there is a, actually uh, ever-changing uh, rules and strategies to make sure that people cannot individually be identified uh, through those data. And, uh, and so there's a great deal of, of care that goes into that uh, effort. And so sometimes that means, uh, with the public data, collapsing categories and that sort of thing so that individuals couldn't be identified uh, through their census information. Yeah, and, you know, it's so interesting that people are, are concerned about that, um, but yet will post drunk pictures of themselves on Facebook without even thinking about it, you know. So, um, it, it, and this is important information that, uh, as you mentioned, is, is protected. Now, this year, my understanding is it's going to be the first year that they really do it all online, or predominantly online anyway. Yes, yeah, so this is a really exciting time for the for census and for this type of research. And, and I should mention that, you know, we're talking about the 2020 census, but to understand the, the Census Bureau and collaborators like, like us and, and other states that have our state data centers, um, 
we're using not just census data, but data from other data products like the American Community Survey, the uh, annual population estimates, and so forth. But the the decennial census is the core and, and why it's so important. This will be the first time in, in history where a majority of Americans will be asked to participate online. Uh, it's not going to be the only way that people can participate. They'll also be able to, to participate via telephone, uh, mail, self-response, uh, as well as for non-respondents, those enumerators uh, that, that could come out. But, uh, but a majority of people, about 95% of the population, uh, will get uh, a postcard uh, starting in mid-March uh, about how they can participate and especially really pushing folks to do this online. And the idea is that makes it very efficient, which then allows us not only to save taxpayer dollars, uh, but also to be able to focus resources on those places where, where it's harder to count, where there might be less uh, broadband ac- access uh, and that sort of thing, so we can really target the resources uh, to better count those places. Well, what kind of questions are people going to be asked? You know, that's, I think, for some people, this is, it, you know, Liz mentioned this is only, she's only now this, she was 23 the last time. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, and haven't done this very often because it only happens every 10 years. So what kind of questions are asked on the census? Yeah. So one of the great things is that it's, it's relatively short. Um, there's, there've been changes over the past few decades. Uh, some people who did the census in the past may remember that there was a long form and a short form. Uh, and the long form was to a sample of households that uh, had more uh, in-depth questions. Now those questions are part of the American Community Survey where we get data about educational attainment, poverty, and that sort of thing that's critical. We collect that on an annual basis, which allows the decennial census to be core set of questions. Those are uh, primarily around topics like uh, age, sex, uh, race, Hispanic status, uh, housing tenure, and then the relationship among people within the household. Um, it also asks for, for names, uh, and, uh, but the, the whole idea is what's the, what are the characteristics of the people in the household, how are they related, and, uh, and then uh, also there's, there's a little bit difference in how it's administered for what we call group quarters data, uh, but those are the core questions that everybody will be asked. Well, and it's Tuesday, so Tuesday night I like to watch Finding Your Roots, and a lot of the genealogy information is from that people gather it from the census, and having it being digitized, maybe they'll print it out so that you'll be able to read the handwriting, because a lot of times the the previous census, you know, spelling was uh, more creative <laughs> and uh, uh, smudges and things, so I, I, I just... I am so giddy. I am so excited. We are talking today with Professor John Green from the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at the University of Mississippi. We're talking about the census. We're going to take our next break, but give us a call. Go ahead, call us in. I know, folks, I went on a retreat this weekend, and I had five ladies just pounce on me with questions. So let's hear your questions, folks. It's one 877 ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you could email it, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Are you HTC? 
We'll tell you who typically is considered hard to count when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon, he is our expert, and we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are so many different podcasting platforms. There's Stitcher and Spotify. I like Podcast Addict. You download it to your phone or your computer or your your pad, or it may already have one on there. Look to see. Then you take, you open it up, maybe take, touch a plus or something that takes you to the page to search for podcast. Maybe it's a magnifying glass. Then you type in the words in legal terms, type it in the search area. That will bring up our show. You can touch on the photo. Then you could touch subscribe if you want to be notified when new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about the census with our guest, Professor John Green from the Center of Population Studies at the University of Mississippi. Now, we need to recognize that 27 percent 27% of Mississippi's neighborhoods are in hard-to-count areas. A hard-to-count area is one in which 73% or fewer of households participated in the 2010 census. Young children ages 5 and under are typically undercounted in the census. Um, if someone can't walk and talk, uh, if they're a little bitty baby, should they be, should we count them as part of our household, Professor Green? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, in terms of who, who should be counted, the real emphasis is where people spend most of their time, uh, a majority of the year. And uh, the idea is every, you know, another way of thinking about it that the Census Bureau likes to emphasize is everyone under your roof on April 1st, where that's their, la- their regular residence. Um, as you mentioned, children are the most likely to be undercounted. And I want to emphasize that we've given a lot of attention to this uh, through our collaboration with the Kids Count Program, Mississippi Kids Count Program that's based at Mississippi State University. Uh, strong emphasis on the uh, risk of undercount for children in doing the education and outreach, but also research uh, on those issues. Um, so, so children uh, born on or before April 1st are supposed to be counted. And, of course, if that child's still in the hospital, they should be counted on at what would be their uh, normal uh, residence uh, when they get out of the hospital. Um, and uh, there, are, there are big implications for the undercount of children. Uh, again, our colleagues with uh, the Kids Count program have estimated that for every child that goes uncounted, uh, it, the cost is about $2,700 in lost federal resources because of all the different education and health and nutrition programs 
four kids. And so that's one of the reasons that we give uh, so much attention to that. Would you say if you claim them on your tax return, whoever claims them on their tax return should count them? Or because I would think people wouldn't be reluctant to uh, uh, have that extra deduction on their tax return. Well, it's it's a great question because it's it's a little more complicated that than that in the sense of uh, special populations. Um, a, a good example is for college students. College students who are living away from their their parents' home, uh, they might be living in a dorm or at least still living in another town. Uh, they're actually supposed to be counted where they're living for college, uh, even if their parents you know client, still claim them uh, for tax purposes. Uh, and so for college students, uh, you know, where we are uh, here at the University of Mississippi, students are supposed to be counted uh, here locally, um, even if their parents uh, live somewhere else, because, because of that threshold of where you live most of the year. All right. Well, we have a call. And if you have a question for Professor John Green from the Center of Population Studies at the University of Mississippi, we're talking about the census. We would love for you to call and be part of our show. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7. Four six four, or send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Let's speak with Alice, who's called in from Macomb. Alice, thanks for being a part of our show today. What's your question or comment? Uh, the census. I remember that one time in my life. I'd be 72, February the 6th. And what I remember, I think they came to the house. Would they be coming to our home? That, that is a, uh, a question that is on many people's minds, so thanks for asking that. The, uh, the plan is, is that most people will participate uh, self-completing either online or via a mail question. I don't have question. none of that. I don't have none of that. Yeah, so, uh, so if you don't participate either one of those ways, uh, you can also participate via telephone. You'll have a, a card that will, will give you information. Uh, but even even if you don't participate that way, uh, enumerators will come to the house. So if you don't respond one of those ways, then the idea is that someone from the Census Bureau uh, would come and and, uh, and ask you to complete in person. And so that will definitely still be an option. Oh, yeah, because I would love that part to come to me. Well, that's great, yeah. So that will definitely be one of the ways that you can participate. Because, Alice, we want to all the people. Yeah, well, Alice, we want you to count. We need every Mississippian to count, so that's that's important. Yeah, absolutely. That's why there's so many ways that people can participate, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so uh, we know that some people like to participate face to face, and others don't. And so, given both and, and multiple options, uh, we hope will give us the best count. Okay, then I would love for them to come to my house. Thank you, Alice. We appreciate you calling in. And uh, the people that come to the house, that's their job. And I understand the census is also looking for some folks to be the counters. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, I should have mentioned earlier that I am not an employee of the census, but uh, given that we house the state data center for Mississippi, we work in collaboration with the Bureau 
and uh, really serve as liaisons uh, between the state of Mississippi and the Census Bureau. And, uh, and one of the things that we want is to make sure that as, as many people as possible uh, from Mississippi are working uh, on this effort. And so the Census Bureau is, is really gearing up for a wide variety of jobs that they're hiring people for, uh, including partnership specialists. They've hired many across the state that are, that are out there working at the grassroots level. Uh, and now they're hiring those enumerators, uh, which are going to be really critical and to the extent that, uh, that we have enumerators that are from Mississippi, we think they're going to be more trusted uh, and uh, people will be able to relate to them and, and so forth. And, uh, and it's a great job opportunity. And so we really uh, recommend that people look into that. We have two people in my extended family who have already put in applications to work with the census. Uh, one of them has heard something back. Uh, and then I have a third member of the family who worked a few years ago and, you know, went house to house and kind of surprised some folks because he was he just it was between um, uh graduating from college and going into the military, but he spoke a lot of languages. And some people would try to start talking to him in a different language, <laughs> probably to shoo him off. And they were quite surprised when he uh, replied back to them. Um, to, you know, we are getting a lot of news about our incarcerated Mississippians. Do they get counted? Yes. Um, in fact, uh, when we think about the discussion thus far, we've been talking about people being counted in their in their homes. Uh, but of course, we live in different ways. And so when you think about special populations, um, obviously, uh, prisons, as you mentioned, um, I, I hate to say these all in the same breath, but uh, but also college dormitories, as I mentioned earlier, um, any any kind of special group quarters, ways in which people are living together, uh, they still need to be counted. And, uh, and so there's a, a special enumeration process for those places that's focused on group quarters. And, uh, and working with those, the Census Bureau works with those organizations where, where people are housed to make sure that they are uh, counted there as well. And, uh, and again, they're counted in that in that place uh, and related to that geography. Well, that's, that makes sense. I know, I know we have a call this, but it, it makes sense that it really is where those resources are being spent. So, you know, if you have a college student in California as opposed to Mississippi, they need resources there because that person is living there, whereas our students here are actually using resources and, and therefore uh, the allocation should come in to take into effect the 20,000 uh, students we have here and, and around you know, the other students around the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and that, that's, the, uh, that's the justification there, as, as you mentioned. And then, uh, and then also there's some special rules related to uh, people who are in the military to make sure that they are allocated, that their accounts are allocated to the right places. So that would also include maybe people in uh, nursing homes or I know in Jackson they have the school for the, the deaf and school for the blind and Columbus has the Mississippi School for Math and Science. The people live at those schools. They would be counted there? Yeah, so um, all, all of those examples that you give um, are uh, – what we would consider group quarters and uh, and where they should be counted. Um, one of the great things about the about the form about the census form is that it has very explicit instructions 
uh, to uh, to help you make that designation. And I should also mention, you know, there are all of these kind of special cases that might be confusing, and uh, uh, people can go to the uh, the census website dedicated specifically to to the 2020 census. It is 2020census.gov. And, uh, and so people can look at whether it's questions of where should I be counted or who should I count or, you know, what languages are, are offered if, uh, if I need to complete in, in uh, non-English language. Uh, and so the idea is to have those resources available to, to try to make it easy to navigate the system because it seems on the face of it like it should be easy. But when we start getting into each of those particular scenarios for a family, there might be questions. And so there's guidance available on the website. And for those listeners who are techno-savvy, sorry, sorry, Miss Alice, you'll just have to speak with uh, the enumerator that maybe comes to your house. We will have the website. The website for this show will have some of the links that we talk about today. Let's go to the phones, and Kathy has called in from Natchez. Kathy, thanks for being part of In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Thank you, and I enjoy your show. I have two questions, and I can hang up to listen. But one, like, I'm 53, and I have four grown children now. But And I lived out of Mississippi for a while and then returned and been back here for a while. But my whole life I've never recalled as a mother, like, someone coming to the door and having me fill out a sentence, even in the other state I lived in. And I've never done it online. Do they send you up? Trump or something or notify you uh, to let you know about doing the census or how, because like with your social security and stuff, it follows me where I go. I, you know, how they would send out the statement letting you know how much you paid into social security and where you stand if you retired or was disabled. But does the census doesn't tie into social security if you worked or something well that's the first question and then the second question is when mary and joseph in the bible times traveled with jesus did, was that the census where they went to register were they registering themselves or were they going to register the baby and those are my two questions and i'll hang up thank you yeah uh great great questions thanks for uh calling in i'll address the first one you know uh, I'll address your second question first uh, related to uh, registration. You know, the, the idea of uh, counting a population has been uh, essential historically for, uh, for what we think of as, as nations, kingdoms, or, or whatever historical period we are in. And then also, if you think through a variety of different faith traditions of this idea of registration. So registration with the state, registration with the church. Those practices uh, are, are longstanding, and the, the idea is that uh, the importance of knowing uh, uh, who's, who's a part of that entity uh, is, is the, the historical tradition of the census. Um, for, for your question about how you would uh, find out or what kind of outreach, um, the Census Bureau will start mailing uh, postcards uh, to households uh, starting in March, and uh, and those postcards will tell you about what to expect and how you can participate. And then for people who don't participate, there will be follow-up uh, mailings as well. And so there's going to be a series of efforts to contact people who uh, haven't participated, uh, but but uh, most of the population will will get 
uh, mailings. Uh, you mentioned like different um, government programs and so forth that that follow you. What's important to understand when we start the census, when when they start sending out those postcards, it's it's not individuals' names that are associated with those places. It's the it's the place. It's the housing unit. So think about it as the address. What we're trying to do is to count the people at all of the known addresses in other places where people live. And, you know, interestingly enough, you mentioned the, the historical uh, and religious implications. The book of Numbers really is about a census. That's what it is. I mean, uh, the Hebrew is bar, which means in the desert. But uh, it really is the counting of the tribes of Israel. So it's not a new concept. All right. See, you can, you know, maybe get a Sunday school lesson out of this, too. Uh, Folks, we need to take our last break of the show, but we hope you'll call in for a few more minutes with your questions about the census. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us legalterms at mpbonline.org. What can you do to help Mississippi promote an accurate count? We'll tell you when we come back after the break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for learning along with me on In Legal Terms today. But if you've missed any of this program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. You can listen on the MPB Public Media app or listen to the podcast. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Okay, here are five things that you can do to help Mississippians get counted. Number one, share this podcast. Tell people how vital funding for programs is tied to our census numbers. Number two, tell folks maybe at your house of worship how important it is to count young children in our numbers. Number three, let people without internet access know that maybe they could use a library computer or other ways to complete the census. We talked about uh, the paper or doing it online. Number four is remind folks looking for a job that the census is hiring. And number five, the biggest thing you can do is make sure everyone in your own household is correctly counted. We're talking with Professor John Green. He's an affiliated member of the School of Law at the University of Mississippi and the director for the Center for Population Studies and Society. Um, You know, we're going to have a bunch of the websites, uh, Professor Green, on our web page for this. So you go ahead and tell me (laughs) what I should put on there. Well, you know, as as I mentioned, the uh, the 2020 uh, census.gov website is is critical. Uh, We will also be um, 
um, as a state, releasing a um, Mississippi-specific media campaign uh, starting in the in the coming weeks uh, to really gear up for April 1st, what we consider Census Day. And, uh, and so that media campaign is going to coincide with the initial mailings that we mentioned from the Census Bureau. So the Census Bureau has its uh, national media campaign and, and, you know, regional areas of focus. And then we'll be supplementing that as a state uh, with a with a Mississippi specific media campaign. Well, when that comes up, we will definitely update our Web page and add that on. Yeah, and it's so interesting, Liz. You know, that's a, that uh, 2020census.gov has such great information that, that John mentioned. And, and one is just, you know, the response rates by state and things like that. And we, we would love to have a 100% response rate in Mississippi because that's the best way for, uh, for the federal government, for the state to know how to allocate resources. But, John, you know, you, you, you got work, you know, from 2010 to 2020, you've been doing a lot of different things that, that besides the census. Now, when the census information comes, what will the Center for Population Studies do with that information? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so the the initial thing that happens after the census data are collected, first and and foremost, the data have to be uh, delivered uh, at the national level for the specific purposes of apportionment for the states, as we would had discussed about how the seats in Congress are, are allocated. That's the uh, first thing, and there's a very specific timeline by law uh, on how that's laid out. And then secondly, the data will start to be used for uh, redistricting. We don't do redistricting through our center, um, but we want to make sure that people have, obviously, the most accurate and best data to work with uh, as those uh, political uh, debates start to happen on, on what the districts will look like. For our center, where we really get involved is on the data dissemination side. So working with uh, state agencies, uh, local government, nonprofits, um, just think about all the potential uh, users of the census data. So we'll do trainings uh, to help people on how do you use the software to, you know, access the data. How do you make sure that you're using the data and interpreting it in in the right way statistically. Uh, and then we also fill data requests. So we help people will call us for, you know, fairly uh, minor things, but that kind of technically they might find uh, uh, confusing uh, or kind of bigger projects. And, uh, and so we help fill those requests. Uh, we get a lot from, again, state agencies and, uh, and organizations, uh, organizations focused on economic development, health planning, and so forth. Uh, to use those, and uh, and so that's where, where really where we transition to make sure that people understand that these are public data, so they're used for all these uh, uh, government purposes we've been discussing, but part of that is also that they're used for uh, local organizations. Uh, we we fill data requests for people doing workforce development programming, uh, hunger uh, alleviation. We talked earlier about uh, relief and redevelopment after disasters. And so these are the people's data. And so the job of of our state data center and and centers across the country is to help make sure that the people have access to to those to inform decision-making. And, you know, one of the things I know the center has done, and it makes me sad to talk a little bit about this because you worked with Michelle Alexandre, who is now dean at Stetson Law School in Florida. So we we miss Michelle a lot. But but you worked on the concept of food deserts and, and the importance of population and where food is and food is available. 
Yeah, this is a time I'd like to actually plug a colleague's work, uh, Dr. Annie Kafer, who's in our department and affiliated with our center and has led the development of a program called the Mississippi Health and Hunger Atlas, uh, trying to help us understand what are the connections between these demographic uh, characteristics, uh, issues related to the economy, and then uh, uh, food, access to food, healthy food, uh, nutrition, and, and health outcomes. And uh, that's actually a, a, a data tool that we use census data uh, and American Community Survey data and then a wide variety of other sources to help inform. So, so you're exactly right. Those types of efforts where we can take census data and complementary data sources and really connect those and uh, make them useful at the, at the community and regional level is a, is a large part of what our uh, center is committed to. When Liz was mentioning earlier, uh, really being a numbers person, we like to uh, joke around in our center that we are data nerds in public service, and that's really the idea is to help people use data. Well, and April 1st is just the beginning. That's when the everything gets uh, started and gets rolling, and we hope folks won't get a April Fool's prank on them and that they'll be sure to fill out their get their cards in the mail and fill out the things online as best they can. Professor Green, thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our numbers guy has been our board engineer, Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. But we hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.